Thank you for taking the time to listen to this audio sermon from Apostolic Worship Center. Our prayer is that you'll be encouraged and blessed by the anointed Word of God. If you'd like more information about Apostolic Worship Center and its ministries, visit our website at www.awcnorman.com. We're turning to the book of Psalms, chapter 51, the 51st chapter of the book of Psalms. We will be continuing in a vein that we have been in the last couple of weeks. I could not depart from where I believe God has had us the last couple of weeks, and we will join there again today. Psalms chapter 51, verse number 7, it's a prayer of David and his repentance to God, and this is his request of the Lord when he says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. What a prayer. What a prayer. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. And wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And I preach today from that subject, purged with hyssop. Purged with hyssop. Would you ask the Lord to help us now, Jesus? We're asking you in the next little while. God, as we take the bread of life, that you'd help us, dear God, in the breaking of that bread and our receiving of it, Lord, into our heart. God, we need, Lord, the reception of the word today. And God, we know what you've laid on our heart. And God, help us to communicate those truths and articulate those principles, God, that will guide us and direct us in our walk with you. God, we receive it now. Let there be anointing in this house In Jesus' precious name we pray, and would you lift your voice and your hands to the Lord one more time, and would you make a joyful sound of praise and worship. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I think there's a sound of praise in the house. I think there's a sound of worship in this house today. Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. You may be seated. God bless you on this Sunday morning. There are several points of entrances into our story today that we could take. But I believe I will begin today at this particular entrance. It's the entrance of Nathan the prophet that has been authorized by God to go to the throne room of David and to make known to David the sin that he has committed and has now concealed for several months. You can imagine the footfall of that prophet and his sandaled feet upon the marbled floor of David's palace and the throne room business is interrupted As Nathan marches in and he stands before the throne and he proceeds to give a parable to David. Telling him that there was a traveler that came by a rich man's house. And he asked to come in and the rich man wanting to feed the traveler that had come by. He reached over into his neighbor's sheepfold who was much poorer than what he was and took 
from him that one lone sheep and offered it as a meal for the traveler that has come to his house. David is infuriated. He is upset at this story and the fact that one would act with such injustice and such cruelty to his neighbor and take from him that one lone sheep that he had and offer it when he had many sheep that he could have offered to the traveler and yet this man took the one lone sheep and offered it as a meal for the man that came by. David responded in a certain attitude of self-righteousness saying that he would indeed bring justice quickly and harshly upon such a one that had committed such a cruelty and injustice to his neighbor. And then Nathan stretches forth his hand and points his finger to David and says, Thou art the man. And begins to tell David his story, the, 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 the life that he had lived and how he had conducted himself in the matter of Bathsheba and had taken her and had had a child through her and had murdered her husband to cover this sin up. And immediately David feels the piercing weight of his sin and guilt comes upon him. But I give to you for your consideration on this Sunday morning that I don't believe that this was the first moment that David felt this sting of guilt. I don't believe this was the first moment with this interaction between the prophet of God and this moment of confrontation, this, this exposing of his sin. I don't believe that this was the first moment that David had felt the stinging pains of guilt upon his life. In fact, I believe that David had wrestled with it from the very moment that he had committed the sin. I believe he had wrestled with it in his mind. I believe for the last several months as this scenario has played out that David undoubtedly had spent restless nights tossing and turning, maybe pacing the corridor of his palace, finding moments of reprieve, trying to get away from the pressure of all of this. I read his diary as if it were in the 32nd chapter of the book of Psalms as he writes a journal concerning his emotions during this time where he's under the weight of sin and the wrong that he has committed by taking Bathsheba and murdering her husband to cover up this affair or adultery. And he writes in Psalms chapter 32 and verse number 3 and he writes concerning the emotional torment that he has been feeling when he said, I kept silence, I, I, I tried to cover it, I, I tried to push it under the rug, tried not to 
deal with it. I tried to ignore it as if time would ease it away and I would no longer have to deal with its consequences. But my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. He said, my body literally is wasting away and I groaned all day under the emotional weight and guilt of the sin that I have committed. Nathan's not come to the throne room yet. Uh, He's not yet pointed his prophetic finger and identified that David indeed is the man that has committed sin, but David has already felt the emotional turmoil of his sin. And then he further writes in his diary, journaling these emotions in Psalms 32 and 4, he says, day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. It was not just the emotional pain that he felt of his body wasting away and groaning all day long. But he said, I was tormented spiritually knowing that God's hand was heavy Upon me and that I had violated his laws and I had broken his commandments and I had offended him. And David makes it very clear in this journal that he writes in Psalms chapter 32. That sin is not without its consequences. That there is always a cost that is involved that will affect you emotionally and it will also affect you spiritually. Understand that we might put a word on this feeling that we might be a little better at identifying with and it's the word guilt. Has anybody ever felt that pain of guilt as it pierces your mind, as it stings your heart? Understand that guilt is the heart's response to an involvement which was wrong, illegal, that was an injustice and it takes the pleasure of my sin and it turns it into an emotional and spiritual pain. Understand now that whatever pleasure is derived from sin, whatever feeling of satisfaction is got from that moment of foray into the illicit and immoral, that which is wrong and that which breaks the commandments of God, whatever pleasure that brings, it is short-lived by this thing called guilt that stings my heart and turns the pleasure into an emotional and a spiritual pain that I have to learn to live with until I can bring it to the foot of the cross. Understand that guilt is what comes when I violate a set of moral codes, a set of values and principles that are established within my life. And when I violate that, when I cross that boundary, when I cross that line, when I break that moral code, it brings about this horrible feeling of guilt. You understand that temptation is a very powerful thing. Does anybody understand that? Temptation is a very powerful force. There's, there's an allurement that it pulls at us and it attracts us toward things that are illicit and in that moment of temptation, 
moral codes, moral values, principles that we have held, things we have said, I will never do that. I don't know how many times David may have said in his mind, looking back at the previous administration under King Saul, and may very well have said, I will never do that. I will never allow that. Yet in a moment of temptation he is pulled across his own line of moral values and principles and he finds himself peering lustfully at the other balcony overriding those values and systems that he has placed in his life. Look with me for just a moment because I find this very interesting in the 30 fourth chapter of the book of Psalms that David makes an outline of his moral values. Things that he feels are principles that ought to guide one's life. He writes in Psalms chapter 34 and verse number 11. He says, come ye children. Now let's get the picture and let's look at what David's doing here. He's sitting as a father and he's speaking to others. They may have been adults, but they were considerably younger, and he considered them children, at least in their in their emotional being, if not actually in physical life. He says, Come now, you children. He's in this process of mentoring them. Hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue. Now watch his moral code. Watch his values as he writes them. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil. Do good. Seek peace. Pursue it. Now watch. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry and the face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. And in that 34th chapter, David writes his moral values. He writes his moral code about what his tongue should say, what his eyes should see, how he should revere and respect and honor and fear the Lord how that he should depart from evil and do good yet we find in that moment on the balcony that David is drawn away from that voice of his own moral code and values and he is brought into the place of sin where he sacrifices everything that he has once stood for and in the words of James when sin is finished we are left an emotional and spiritual wreck can I tell you the tempter would love to pull us from our moral moorings he would love to pull us away from our values he would love to take us away from our principles he would love to pull us away from our commitments and our consecrations I believe that in the 21st century it's time for somebody to go back and look at your values and your principles and just make a commitment and say you know what my values and my principles is greater than any pleasure and enticement 
punishment of sin. Can I get a witness in the house today? Can I, can I preach to somebody? Can I hear the voice of somebody in the house today that'll simply say, I made a commitment to God a long time ago that I'd stand holy and righteous and I refuse to allow the tempter to draw me across my line and bring guilt into my heart. Refuse to allow I refuse to allow. Sometimes you've got to go back and you've got to look. You've got to look at those principles. You've got to go back and look at those values. You've got to go back and look at those codes. Those things that you may have written down on paper. Or you may have at least inscribed upon the recesses of your mind. And you go back and you look at it. And then when you look at the balcony, you say, you know what? There's greater blessings with my values than there is pleasure on the balcony. There's greater joy in my principles than there is in the enjoyment of sin for a season. I've come to preach to somebody. It's still right to live for God. There's still joy in living for God. It's still greater than unrighteousness. It's still greater than sin. Living for God is still greater than anything the world has ever offered. And I refused to be drugged from my values a place of guilt and shame just can't do that you understand there's there's something that happens because this process is not done I may compromise my values I may compromise my principles I may violate my code I may walk across the line but now I am left with the stinging pains of guilt And that guilt will haunt me long after the balcony is empty. That guilt will taunt me long after the pleasure of sin is done. But it's not just the guilt. It's not just the guilt. It's not just the sleepless night where I toss and turn trying to erase the fact that I broke my code, my values... I crossed the line. I entered into a sphere that I should not have entered into. And as I try to interact in life, and I try to cover it all up, and I try to put a good face on, and I, I try to pretend that it has not done. It's just me in my private moments. But there's still this guilt there's still this stinging thing that works on my mind. But it's not just the guilt. It's not just the guilt because you understand there is this enemy you and I have and it's called Satan. And Satan knows how to squeeze guilt for all he can get out of it. He knows how to work guilt like it's nobody's business. He knows how to hold guilt over your head. He knows how to taunt you with guilt. He knows how to work that guilt in your mind. And he'll work it for all that it's worth. Telling you, you know what? You have sinned. You 
have sinned. And you can hear his taunting voice in the back of your mind telling you, you have sinned. You may be even sitting in an apostolic service and praise and worship may be going on and you're trying your best to cover it. But in the back of your mind, Satan is working that guilt and saying, you've sinned. There's no use to pray. You've sinned. There's no use to praise. You've sinned. There's no use to lift your hand. Understand that part of the bio of Satan is he is the accuser of the brethren. And it is his business to accuse day and night. My sin is done. Guilt has come. And now my enemy called the devil is going to work guilt for all he can work it. He's going to hold it over my head every time I bow my knee. He's going to hold it over my head every time I lift my hand. He's going to hold it over my head every time I try to take a step in the right direction. He's going to do everything he can to remind me of the moment I crossed the line. Of the moment that I violated my principles. The moment I violated that code. In fact, you know the devil is very good at twisting scripture. Does anybody know he's very good at twisting scripture? And he'll use scripture against you in the middle of your guilt. He'll pull things like Exodus chapter 34 and verse number 7 and he'll lift it completely out of context and he'll say, there it is. That God will by no means clear the guilty and he'll hang Exodus 34 and 7 over our head and then he'll take us to the book of Nahum and he will show us where Nahum the prophet repeats and quotes Exodus 34 and 7 to the Ninevites saying that God will by no means clear the guilty and he'll say there it is by the mouth of two witnesses your guilt is there and you can't ever get rid of your guilt or he'll take us to Psalms chapter 7 and verse number 11 and he'll point it out to us that God is angry with the wicked every day and he will remind us in our guilt and he will remind us in our sin and he will remind us in our transgression that my guilt can never be pardoned and God will never forgive me of what I've done but I've come to preach a message of hope on this Sunday morning to tell you there's another voice on the stage and there's another sound that you need to be listening to I've not come to excuse your sin and I've not come to tell you it's alright to cross the line and I've not come to tell you that it's okay to break our moral codes and to walk away from our principles but I have come to tell you that there is another voice in the mix that God wants us to hear on this Sunday morning and it doesn't have to be the voice of guilt it can be the voice of almighty God somebody clap your hands and just shout a little bit now to the Lord ah, ah, ah. yeah it's, it's because of this restless and relentless voice of our enemy. Him, Paul calls it in the book of Romans, him that condemneth us, that God provides for us another voice in the middle of our guilt. Now let's go back to the beginning of our story for just a moment and let's step back into that palace 
throne room setting. And let's look one more time at the king sitting on the throne and the prophet Nathan standing there. Understand now the voice of Nathan. He's there because he's commanded of God to be there. And Nathan doesn't pull any punches. He's just gut-wrenching honest. He tells David just the way it is. He tells him of the sin that he's committed. He tells him of the wrong that he's done. He points his finger at him and he says, Thou art the man. Now before you condemn Nathan for his harshness and his hardness and before you say that as a prophet of God he should have been a little more gentle and before you say as a prophet of God he might should have been just a, a little more diplomatic in the way that he can oh I wish I could preach right there for a moment we have we've used far too much diplomacy on our sin we need a little straight preaching instead of diplomacy I said we've used far too much diplomacy on our sin. We've tried to find ways to skirt around it. I, I, I wrestle, I listen to words in my mind trying to find out how to say it so it's not an offense to anybody. Well, I'm throwing diplomacy out the window on this Sunday morning just to come to tell you that sin is wrong, hell is hot, but Calvary will cover all of our sin. Before you say that Nathan shouldn't have been so plain and so blunt. Before you say Nathan should not have, have used the words that he used and been so, so confrontational with David. May I say to you that it yielded results for 1 Samuel tells us or 2 Samuel tells us David must have fallen on his face and after Nathan's sermon it's almost as if there is this release. Understand he's been covering it now for several months and now Nathan comes in and the sermon and just kind of pulls the cover off of it and Nathan says and they are David just says Ooh, now I can get honest and he just falls on his face and he says I have sinned against the Lord he said I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me can I tell you that preaching is not meant to damn us preaching is meant to convict us and in our conviction it releases us from our sin can I tell you something about preaching can I preach to you a little bit about preaching right now? The only way you can magnify the Savior is you got to talk about sin. The only way you can magnify the cross is you got to talk about unrighteousness. The only way you can magnify the covering of the blood is you got to talk about evil. But if you preach about sin, then you can preach about a Savior. And if you preach about ungodliness, you can preach about a righteousness that is bought at the cross. And if you preach, about wickedness you can preach about the release that comes through the blood of the lamb come on the preacher is preaching for our souls on this Sunday morning because Nathan's got another word David's on his face and he's groveling ah ah I've sinned I've sinned ah my sin's ever before me 
I acknowledge my sin. Ah! And he's pouring his heart out. Ah! The, the message of Nathan has hit home. The message of Nathan has pulled the covers back. The message of Nathan has exposed David for what he is. And while he's on his face, brothering before the Lord, Nathan rises and he said, I got another word, David. I got another word. My message is not done. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse number 13, Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin and thou shalt not die because the same preacher that pointed the sin out pointed to the Savior and said God is going to point you or going to put away your sin I've come to tell you today I intend on preaching sin just as horrible as it is I've come to preach sin just as dark and wicked as it comes but I've also come to preach that there's a Savior there's a Lord that knows how to forgive, that knows how to take our wrongs and make them right, that knows how to wash us away. I'm telling you, there's no sin too deep. There's no sin too dark. There's no sin that's brought so much guilt that my Savior cannot wash it all away. Somebody clap your hands and just shout for a moment. Ah! Ha <laughs> ha! Ah! Uh, yeah, yeah, David now, he's in his pain of repentance, in his, in his pain of, of pouring it all out before God. Can I tell you there's nothing any more beautiful? <laughs> uh, there, there is nothing any more beautiful than someone asking God for forgiveness. There's nothing ugly about it. There's nothing any more wonderful than somebody with just tears rolling down their cheeks, their heart broken before God, pouring their heart out before God in repentance unto the Lord. And that's what David does in the 51st chapter of the book of Psalms as he begins in that first verse. And he says, have mercy. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgression, my sins ever before me against thee. And thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That that thou mightest be justified when you speak and be clear. When you judge, have mercy. Mercy, O oh God. And then David did something. He called for the only thing he knew. He reached for the only thing he was conscious of. He reached for the only thing he had hope in. He reached for the only thing that had proven itself through time. He reaches his hand out now and he tries to get a hold of it. His life is made bare. It's no longer a private thing. It's a very public thing. The king is now and all of his sin is known throughout the kingdom. And David now reaches for the only thing he knows to reach for and pull for the only thing he knows to pull at. Verse number 7. 
He says it like this. He says, purge me. Purge me. Purge me. Purge me, Lord. And this is the way he says to do it now. He says, purge me with hyssop. And when he said, purge me with hyssop, he's reaching for that Levitical system that was in place at the time. It's the only thing he knew where cleansing resided. Purity was at. He says, purge me now with hyssop. The track record had been clear. The work had been obvious. That when Israel came out of Egypt, the command was to take hyssop. It was just a small little plant. A bush, very small in stature at the best. Very limber and very easily to bend. And it formed kind of a brush type affair. They were to take that hyssop and they was to dip it in the bowl of the blood. And they was to take that blood and they was to use the hyssop to apply it to the doorpost. And the story had been told through the countless generations that when the death angel came in and saw the blood that had been applied to the doorpost, that the death angel passed over the nation of Israel and the home was spared and the firstborn was, was cleared and he knew that when leprosy was to be cleansed and the priest had investigated and the leprosy was gone and all of the spots had been cleared up to, to, to bring that leper back into the community, to join him part back into being part of the family, that the priest would take hyssop and he would dip it in the blood that had been poured into a bowl and he would sprinkle it with that hyssop upon that leper. And in that ceremony of taking that hyssop, that hideous disease that had separated that leper from the community, had driven him from the family that he had once known, suddenly that leper was now brought in by the sprinkling of the blood that came from that hyssop. Or if one had come in contact with a dead body, they were considered to be unclean. But again, the hyssop, the hyssop was dipped into the blood and it was sprinkled upon the one who had contacted the dead and suddenly whatever whatever lack of, 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 of ceremony was there that had been brought about by the contact of the dead was done away with with the dipping of the blood and the hyssop and the sprinkling of it upon that individual and David now reaches for it. The writer of Hebrews talks about it in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 19 when he says Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law and he took the blood of calves and goats and water and scarlet wool and hyssop and he sprinkled both the book and all the people saying this is the blood of the testament that God has enjoined unto you. Moreover he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry and almost all things are by the law purged with blood without the shedding of blood is no remission of sins and so hyssop was always in connection with the blood that was the symbol of cleansing and when David said purge me with hyssop he said I want you to take that hyssop 
and I want you to put it in that blood and I want you to take this dark stain on my life and I want you to blot it out and I want you to cleanse me with the blood that comes from that hyssop. Can I tell you that it plays a very important role in our process for the writer of the book of 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse number 33 spoke of Solomon and the things that he wrote and he said he spake of trees from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon now get it even somebody say even even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He wrote about the cedar trees, their stateliness, their majestic height that they grew to, even unto this insignificant hyssop, this little limber bush that grew plentifully out of the walls of the community. He wrote about the cedar and even the hyssop. No wonder the writer, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 and 2 when he prophesies concerning the Messiah, he said he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Could it have been that when he talked about that plant growing up that he could have been very well talking about that small insignificant bush called a hyssop and that Christ could have been in typology that hyssop that grew up and that the the prophet was writing concerning him that he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Plant. We know that John in his gospel, when he writes his rendition of the scene at Calvary, he and he alone of all the gospel writers writes about which what was used to bear the sponge up to Christ to give him a drink of the vinegar. The other three gospel writers simply call it a reed. But John in John 19 and 29, he says that they put that vinegar, that sponge filled with vinegar, they put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. Commentators and scholars would say that it would be impossible for them to use hyssop to lift the sponge to the Lord, that it was too limber of a bush to have done so. They could not have got it up there. Could it very well have been that John was pointing out the mockery of those that were reaching that hyssop up to him, saying, you know what? As common as this bush is and insignificant as it is, so Common is this man, and to no avail is his death. But what they did not understand is that common man hung on that cross was providing the blood that would provide my cleansing. For Romans 5 and 9 said, By his blood we shall be saved from wrath. Don't write it off, it's just hyssop. Write it it off as the cleansing blood of the Lamb that's able to take away my guilt and cleanse me of my wrong. Oh, hallelujah. Purge me. Purge me with a hyssop. Before you write him off, 
Before you say there's nothing to that man hanging on Calvary. Before you say there's nothing to that, that sacrifice given there. May I tell you that just as hyssop was a common bush through that man that the world would discredit. He brings to us the means of atonement and sacrifice and cleansing to our life. I've come to you on this Sunday morning to tell you we don't have to live with our guilt. We don't have to live with our shame. We don't have to live with our wrong. But we can be cleansed. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter where we've been. It don't matter what evil, what transgression we have committed. God's blood will wash away our sin. Paul writes concerning our condition in Romans chapter 7 and verse number 24. When he says this, oh wretched man that I am. I feel the weight and the sting of my sin. I feel the weight of my wrong. And it's made me feel so undone. made me feel so incomplete. But it is in my wretchedness that I ask that question, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Paul says, I thank God through, through, through through hyssop, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who could have ever thought that hyssop would have been the conveyor? Who would have ever thought that hyssop would have been the applicator of the cleansing blood? They discounted him and discredited him. But I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he begins the 8th chapter by saying, Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. The guilt is gone. David can now rise with his head high and his shoulders pulled back. Yes, it's a fact and all of the consequences and the things that it did. It will all be there. But in his heart, he knows it's all been washed away. It's all been cleansed. Would you just lift your hand with me right now all over this Just lift your hand up. I, I, I just feel. <laughs> if I'll just acknowledge it, I'll forgive it. If I'll confess it, you'll wash it. 
shame, the guilt, the stain. He'll do away with all of it. Purge me. Purge me now, Lord. Can't bear another night of guilt and shame. I violated the code. to be cleansed and to be washed of all of my sins. Would you stand with me now across this building? From wherever you're at, wherever you stand, would you lift your hand and your voice to the Lord? And would somebody just cry out, call out? Is there a David in the house today? Is there somebody that just knows God well enough to know that if I, if I ask Him to purge me for this blood, He'll wash me and He'll cleanse me of all of my sin. For what is it that can wash away my sins? Nothing. Nothing can do away with the stain. Nothing can do away with the guilt. And Nothing can do away with the wrong. You understand that He puts away our sin. He takes care of the penalty. I purge sin. I take care of the presence. But oh friend, when He purges me with hyssop, He takes care of the pain of sin. And God wants to take care of the pain of my sin and remove it from my mind and take it from my heart so I can stand justified before God and cleansed before the Lord, able to lift my hands unto Him. Would you do it with me now? All over this building, all over this sanctuary, would somebody do it with me now? Would you call out to Him? You have been listening to an audio sermon from Apostolic Worship Center located in Norman, Oklahoma. We are located at 3221 North Porter Avenue, Norman, Oklahoma, 73071. Our service times are Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. And we also have various ministries happening on Wednesday night. For more information, visit our website, www.awcnorman.com. You can call us at 405-329-1285 or email us at info at awcnorman.com We hope that this recording has been a blessing to you.